This is your profanity warning. Your warning that bad words are about to be said in the following podcast. If there are children in the room, in the house, or indeed within a five-mile radius, please send them away. This podcast is not for us. Is that good? Yeah, it was great. That was perfect. Okay. Okay. You and me are going out tonight. Wear something cute, okay? You always do what Jennifer tells you to do. It's just that I like the same things that she likes. Hey, Jennifer. You look really pretty. Why don't you just come by my place? Well, this is random. This isn't really your house, is it? We can play mommy and daddy. No way. Ah! Chip is looking really cute to me lately. How is he tasting these days? You are never a good friend. You could have anybody that you want. Why Chip? You're killing people. No, I'm killing boys. Are you scared? I you only murdered boys. I go both ways. Good evening, students. You are hereby invited to Scare University, or as we like to call it, Scare You. I'm Bradford Lorick, and I'm evil. I mean, I'm not actually evil. I'm just high school evil. And busy fending off hammer-wielding dream warriors like a hard-assed Ford Tough Mama Bear, I'm Eric Winnick. Scare You is a podcast about horror films told from several points of view. And we call this podcast Scare You because tonight one of us will be going back to school to learn something new. And this schlemiel will be experiencing a horror film he hasn't seen yet, as assigned by a true horror aficionado, me. Joining us tonight to discuss the 2009 film Jennifer's Body, all the way from the Tar Heel State, is the one and only Kate Thompson. Welcome to Scare You, Kate. Ah, oh, what up, Queens? I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to get educated. Thank you for having me. I've been studying all day. I'm going to ace this quiz. Yeah, put your money where your mouth is, Kate. Oh, I will. Uh, just a few words about our guest tonight. Kate Thompson is a small animal veterinarian by day and a horror movie junkie by night. She has a special <laughs> affinity for the campy, the gory, and the feminist side of horror as co-host yes. of the nightlight horror movie club podcast with her best friend and fellow vet ariana they explore the darkest corners of horror cinema presenting a unique blend of movie reviews and mini episodes true crime creepy pastas urban legend and all things spoopy kate welcome to scare you how are you and what are you up to these days 
I am doing so good. Um, don't have seasonal depression. Everything's fine. But I've been having a really good time just like getting back into all my horror movies, getting some time to just like curl up with a nice cup of tea. Um, it's been good. It's been a good time to be uh, catching up on all my horror movies because I just got back from doing all of our – I don't know um, if you saw Eric, but all of October I watched a, a horror movie every single day. Yes. Um and so then I didn't want to watch a horror movie for a very long time, and now I'm ready again. <laughs> so I'm just starting to slowly get back into binging all of my horror movies, and it's been really wonderful. So we and got to uh, the club is yes, yes, exactly. And the club is doing great. Ariana's doing great. Um, we're just kind of trying to figure out what kind of fun shenanigans we're going to get into in the new year. Um, but yeah, everything's going super awesome. How are you guys doing? Well, you know, no, everything's great. And I'm super excited to, um, to, to be meeting you, Kate, and to have you as a guest tonight. Uh, do you yes. need a seasonal affective disorder lamp too? Because I'm about to order one. I can order three. Um, I've got one burning bright over my head right now. <laughs> now Fantastic. When you say seasonal affective disorder light, are you talking about those Himalayan salt lamp things? No, it's like... Um, like it's essentially just like a super imagine like a makeup mirror but it's like 800 million volts and it prevents well, you from being depressed i'm doing fine by the way thank you very much oh yeah really to, glad to hear it really enjoyed your bodies 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 episode um thanks not my favorite film of recent years but uh, uh. Intri- intriguing and some good performances there so you know what uh, i'll take it i'll take it yeah, absolutely. Er- Eric now, doesn't have a favorite film. He's a curmudgeon. He hates everything. And he's going to let us know all about it tonight. No, Wait, ma- you don't hate Jennifer's body, do you, Eric? Well, we're going to find out in a few minutes. <gasps> no! Oh, uh, well, I'll leave we you go. in suspense. I'll leave you in suspense. No. It's never now, Kate- suspense when you started like that. <laughs> I know, I'm already sad. I got to go get my lamp. <laughs> now, Kate, this is normally the point. Yes. At which we ask our guests, what is your history with the horror genre and what is your favorite horror film? But thanks to your podcast's excellent website, we know (laughs) that your favorite horror films are The Thing, Scream, and Signs. Kind of. (laughs) So let's go back to question number one and your history with the horror genre. How did you get bitten by the proverbial horror kitten? The kitten, yeah. The kitten got me good um, very early. And that kitten was my father uh, who had three daughters and was like, "Um, okay, so which one of you is going to watch the horror movies uh, with me? And he kind of went down the line and the other two were like, "Um, no, thank you. That's terrible. My younger sister is still terrified of werewolves. Um, But I was like, I'm into it. And that's whenever he showed me uh, Poltergeist, which was one of the first movies that I ever saw. And... um, I was hooked ever since, and now I'm just like trying to find all my fellow weirdos to talk about horror movies with, which is why I made a club full of them. But yeah, I, it was, I was probably like six nice. whenever I got into horror movies. Nice. Six for Poltergeist? Yeah. <laughs> so you really saw yourself in the film. You were vibing I, with um, Carol Ann. I was I I was vibing with height Carol Ann. as Tangina Barons. Of course, I I was not vibing with the clown, and I do still have some issues with clowns. But you know, other than that, I turned out okay. So, guys, if you're wondering if you should get your toddler to watch horror movies, probably yes. not. Um, but no, yes, you know. yes, yes, yes. Well, you, you should definitely I, Kate, do that. I have a three and a half year old nephew. And that kid <gasps> is all in already. 
kid watches Sven Gulli, has seen like <laughs> the OG James Whale Invisible Man. Oh my um, gosh, educated yeah. young man. Yeah, he is. That's um, fantastic. We start him young in the Lorik family. Is that your doing, Bradford? It is not only my doing, my brother also is a horror oh, junkie. Well done. I don't think I know how Eric got into horror movies. You know what? I, I, I'm not into horror movies. The thing is, is that it was Bradford who really, in a way, affected my love of horror because we used to work together in the theater business mm-hmm. in New York and um, we worked for the same theater. And oh, um, he used to tell me stories during lunchtime of films that he saw. He used to describe them and I used to be like, oh, horrible. I'm never going to see that. <laughs> And hilariously, I was three and a half at the time. Well, that is the age at which he started seeing horror films. Yeah, I mean. But a wee child. I was six. (laughs) You know, we broke all kinds of child labor laws, but. uh, You know. You know. Do what you got to do for the theater. So Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not so much of a horror junkie as you guys. Still Um, no. I I think that is why we started this podcast is because. I've not seen any of the films that Bradford recommends. I see them for the first time. I don't tell him what I think of it. So he and you are hearing for the first time what I think of each film as we do them. So so you've never seen Jennifer's Body. No, I, I, I watch each film in preparation for the recording. And then Bradford, you know, I keep him in the dark. I don't text him and say, oh, this is fantastic or this is terrible. But it sounds like it, you, you usually think it's terrible. So. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's not really that dark, Eric. <laughs> We're going to have a bit of a, a, bit of a um, fist fight probably at the end of this. You know what? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I still haven't told you what I thought of the film. So, <laughs> Reading you know. between the lines over here, Eric. Well, yeah, you can do that. You can do Christmas that. miracle. Thank you, Kay Kaiser. Uh, Mr. Winnick, <laughs> will you give us one of your patented brief spoiler-free synopses, please? I would. Cue music, low shoulder, who are actually, <laughs> oh wait for it, composers Ryan Levine and Andrew Ampaya. Jennifer Check and Anita Needy Lesnicki are best friends living in the town of Devil's Kettle, best known for its waterfall and perhaps its high school football team. When Jennifer suggests that she and Needy need to step out to see a hot band, Low Shoulder, at a club called Melody Lane, Needy's initially reluctant. She'd rather spend the night with Chip, her boyfriend. But Jennifer is nothing if not persuasive, and upon arriving at Melody Lane, it's clear the place is a dump, and the band is a bunch of locals posing as hipsters from the city but Jennifer's entranced by the lead singer, Nikolai, whom she finds salty. And as the set heats up, so does Melody Lane. A fire soon engulfs the bar, and after escaping, Jennifer and Needy are beckoned to the band's van. Jennifer succumbs, but Needy runs home, only to find Jennifer in her kitchen, beaten, bloody, and gorging on Boston Market chicken. It's clear that she's been through something, but what? And what does it mean when certain members of their high school class end up dead, mangled, drained of their blood? How has Low Shoulder suddenly nabbed a major label record deal? 
Needy suspects something bigger than a few random murders at play and wonders if maybe, just maybe, her bestie is at the center of it all. That was well, really good. Yeah, I guess my takeaway from that is that all the boys love Melody Lane and Bran Van 3000. But uh, Eric, you have once again scaled the absolute heights of mediocrity. So thank you very much. Nice insult, Hannah Montana. You got any more harsh digs? Uh, you're totally lesbian. You're lime green jello and you can't even admit it to yourself. All right. All right. All right. Why don't we just move on.org guys. Let's move on.org and tell everybody who was responsible for the making of this film, Eric. Jennifer's body was directed by one Karen Kusama, whose work includes destroyer with Nicole Kidman, the invitation, a shitload of TV, including yellow jackets, dead ringers and halt and catch fire. And the film that put her on the map, the Y2K Sundance grand jury prize winner, Girl Fight. Um, This film was written by Oscar winner Diablo Cody, who's probably still best known for her script for Juno, followed by being a blogger, followed by being a stripper, followed by having a really blunt cut black bob. Um, But she's since written Young Adult and Tully and Ricky and the Flash. And um, her new projects include the upcoming 2024 Lisa Frankenstein and, believe it or not, a live action Powerpuff Girls. Uh, Diablo Cody also created the TV shows The United States of Tara with Tony Collette and One Mississippi with Tig Notaro. The film features a mostly socially relevant cast, including Megan Fox, Amanda Seyfried, Adam Brody, Johnny Simmons, J.K. Simmons, Chris Pratt, and our dear friend, Amy Sedaris. Now it's time for Math Club and Debate Society, the portion of our show where we talk about numbers whether they add up, and then we tell you what the critics thought. Jennifer's body opened in the United States on September 18th, 2009. It was made for $16 million, broke even in the US and Canada, and brought in $31.5 million worldwide. And the film sports a technically rotten 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, in a review titled Hell is Other People, especially the popular girl, A.O. Scott, the gray lady, the New York Times had this to say, quote, Jennifer's body is an unholy mess. I mean that as a compliment. Yes, the movie's gory set pieces are executed with more carnivorous glee than formal discipline. And its story is as full of holes as some of its disemboweled victims. But coherence has never been a significant criterion for horror movies. If it were, we could forget about Dario Argento and Brian De Palma, half of Hitchcock, most of the entries in the Friday the 13th series. And though it is too soon to install Jennifer's body in that blood-soaked pantheon, the movie deserves and is likely to win a devoted cult following despite its flaws. Christy Lemire of the Associated Press claimed Jennifer's body, the second screenplay from Diablo Cody, following her Oscar-winning debut smash Juno, is so chock full of her quirky trademarks 
it almost plays like a parody of something she'd write. The self-consciously clever dialogue, the gratuitous pop culture references, the made-up phrases intended to convey a specific high school ethos, they're all there. Even though fembot Megan Fox is an excellent <gasps> fit to spit out these witty quips, it's all so familiar it makes you wonder whether Cody has any other weapons in her arsenal. Boo! Now let's go back Sex. to another white man. Yeah, well, you know, our... oh yeah, we don't have enough of those. More of their opinions, no, but he please. well actually he actually liked it. So let's talk about our guy Raj. Right, our guy Raj in a review, oh yeah yeah in a review titled "Popular Girl Goes Bad Begins to Devour Teen Flesh." Uh, Raj observed. There is within Diablo Cody the soul of an artist, and her screenplay brings this material a certain edge, a kind of gleeful relish that's uncompromising. This isn't your assembly line teen horror thriller. The portraits of Jennifer and Needy are a little too knowing. The dialogue is a little too off-center. The developments are a little too quirky. After you've seen enough teen thrillers, you begin to appreciate these distinctions. Let's put it this way. I'd rather see Jennifer's body again than Twilight. I'm so glad you brought up Roger Ebert because he was actually a really big defendant of Diablo Mm -hmm. Cody for her dialogue, even in Juno. Like everyone was just giving her shit for how these these teenagers like weren't having, quote, realistic dialogue and were like too witty. But then like at the same time, all the critics were also praising how witty the dialogue is. Same thing with Jennifer's body. And it's like, what do you want? You're not asking for realistic dialogue from any other movie because that's not possible to do. Like (laughs) like, what is realistic dialogue to you versus to me? And also also, it's a movie. (laughs) She won the Oscar for judo i mean it's yeah and she still got shit well i mean i feel like she got shit because she won the oscar i feel like she got shit for juno when juno Mm -hmm. became a runaway success everybody loved it everybody was a diablo cody fan until she made 125 million dollars at the box office and walked home with oscar gold Mm -hmm. right i think jason reitman was probably her biggest champion and and um, Jason Reitman produced this one. Yes, mm-hmm, he, did. he did. Yeah, Jennifer's body was nominated for exactly no Oscars, no awards. Nor was it nominated for the only award that matters, the Fangoria Chainsaw Award. But Megan Fox was nominated for the not so coveted Golden Raspberry Award That's in such the category bullshit. of worst actress. Sadly or happily. Losing to Sandra Bullock's performance in All <gasps> About Steve. Um, you guys wh- know a little bit about how, like, like what happened with the marketing of this movie. It was robbed because, like, if I'm like you guys talking about like Rotten Tomatoes and um, all the reviews. It's like they're like you said, like th- there's they're all over the place, and a lot of it is because of like the climate. Uh, of like 2009 when this movie first came out and how it was marketed and kind of like what kind of movie it was for the time. And it was just so grossly underappreciated. And uh, now it really is having like a bit of a like gay renaissance and we love it. And it's really cool to see that people, some people saw it then. So that's really cool. Uh, I mean, to say nothing of the fact that it was marketed by an all male marketing department who did not get it. It was written by a female led creative team it was written for girls, like 
Diablo Cody literally says that. She's like, this is for the girls. And then a male marketing team, just like Bradford said, got their filthy little gross hands on it. And, Mar- and we're like, oh, Megan Fox. Then we're just we're, – it must be just like a sexy Megan Fox takes her clothes off movie. And that's how they marketed it, two boys. And they were all disappointed because they were sold this lie, like it's going to be this sexy – strippy adventure for f- focused on boys and then it wasn't <laughs> as soon as they heard that there was a scene you know a love scene between um cyfred oh Cy- and fox they immediately jumped to conclusions with this film and took it perhaps in the wrong direction in terms of its marketing uh, and i'm glad that it's found its audience goga you might yeah, say yeah which should be a lovely thing and yet they've ruined it they tried mm-hmm. to at least it's because, like, what was it? Transformers is whenever Megan Fox, like, got big. And so before this, and, like, I just keep thinking about, like, how that movie probably was, like, one of the best and worst things for her career. Because, like, all you can think of, especially in, like, 2009 when this movie came out, was that scene of her. You know, you guys already know what scene it is. Of her leaning over the hood of the car and just, like, getting that full, like, head-to-toe body shot. And, like, boom, that's, that's like, what she was. She was going to be a sex symbol. If you guys haven't seen this movie, listeners – students um she's not gonna take her clothes off for the boys unless it's so that she can cleanly eat them (laughs) and now's your opportunity to get hot for teacher the weekly segment in which we and van halen get to find out just why he who assigned the film, which in this case and every case is you, Mr. (laughs) Lorick, assigned the film. Uh, But before we get started, I just want to triple confirm, Kate, unlike Eric, you had seen this film prior to our assignment. So Bradford, as you've mentioned, like I love camp, I love gore, I love feminist horror, I love weird horror. So this has been one of my top three favorite horror movies for like pretty much since I saw it as a teenager. Great. Uh, So Professor, please inform us and our faithful listening audience why you chose this film for the Scare You curriculum. Well, it's it's one of a number of horror films that are, are sort of teen charmers they're kind of coming of age horror films like prom night 2 and the craft um scream warm bodies fright night the final girls the faculty freaky even tragedy girls which we covered last season here at scare you um these are films that are often kind of tonally light until they're not, uh, that are tinged with comedy, punctuated with a wink, uh, but they pack a wallop when it counts. Um, they're often heavy on gore and heavy on irony and maybe on message. And this one has a feminist message. Um, perhaps it's more subversively exploitative and less deft than Teeth's or Ready or Not's. Um, But its title comes from a song by Courtney Love, and it has a feminine monster. And that monster has two heads, or at least it has two halves, like a best friend's necklace from a kiosk at the mall. Uh, But these two are a little more magnetic and they exert kind of a surprising pull on each other. 
One half is all-powerful, and later she's imbued with even more power, and the other half is needy. And also later imbued with power, and the needy part really kicks ass and everything else. Um, I think Jennifer's body rides a lot of lines. It's a little nostalgic in terms of its tone and its story. It's a little postmodern, though, in its execution. Um, I think the characters reflect and refract one another. There's sort of a kind of reverse menstruation idea at work in Jennifer's body, and there's an exploitation of the fear of female or feminine power and empowerment. Um, I think it's got a view of high school that's so saturated with meta-commentary that it, it seems like it has been made by a team of artists who probably barely survived high school and then really triumphed afterward. And it's loaded with enough um, 80s satanic panic service um, that it tells us that the ages of those artists and filmmakers who made it was just old enough to be aware of its hold over the country's consciousness, but just too young to have actually spray-painted a pentagram on a train trestle themselves. Um, I think that Jennifer's body channels its influences. I mean, there is an OG Evil Dead poster on the wall in Needy's bedroom, and yes... And she has the Evil Dead shirt. Yes, and Diablo Cody did do an uncredited script rewrite on the 2011 remake of The Evil Dead. <gasps> cool. Tell me I you did didn't not know, know that. that. That's awesome. Ugh. I did not know that. <laughs> I didn't know. I am thrilled. What a badass. I am thrilled that someone who knows as much about this movie as your fine <laughs> self can still pick up something <laughs> new. Oh. oh, I thought I knew it all. That's so cool. That's what an educational institution like Scare You is for. I know. It's worth the tuition, you guys. I'm, I'm telling you. But I think, I think the, the movie channels all of those influences to create a unique world for some unique and fearless female antiheroes to live in. Um, I think, yes. I think unlike the critics who felt opposite, perhaps that it has a unique vernacular, like, like things like clueless and mean girls. Um, yes. but this also gives us moms who date men who own ham stores, um, which is so off kilter and so surprising that it might as well be lifted from something like strangers with candy. Um, and I think that it's really carefully packed with visual metaphor and symbolism. I mean, Needy, Needy is a butterfly. She's stuck in a cocoon and her walls are covered with butterflies making crazy shapes. Um, I think the men in this movie are really clearly written by women, by which I mean <laughs> that they sound smart even when they're petulant or self-serving, which most of them yes. are. And I think, I think it asks questions like, how do you become yourself when you're in the social milieu or miasma of post-adolescent but pre-college? Do you need to have a little bit of the devil inside you or does he kind of need to be in your best friend for you to have a full tilt Muriel's wedding moment before you're out of your teens? Um, mm -hmm. How can you be a small town girl who doesn't fit in, but 
is about to really learn how to stand out. Also, virtually every character we meet in this film is tinged with a little bit of sadness in this small town, um, which is also kind of judged very harshly by almost all of the characters. But the girls, especially when they start acing demonometry, they are irreverent and they are tough and they are strong and they are surprising. And I think it becomes fairly early on a film about the horror of objectification when objectification is divorced from our expectations and reflected back on itself because the male gaze here doesn't start off as irrelevant but it becomes irrelevant men become as you said eric salty morsels for these powerful and power hungry women to level Yum. up Right? Delicious. These men are fragile. And the the men the men use women in this film to make them better and more successful, but they fail. And then the mar the men carry pepper spray and they cry after the fire at Melody Lane. <laughs> and I mean, one of them is named Chip. That's literally a salty morsel. There you go. And and all of this makes Jennifer and Needy especially in the horror genre, it makes them uniques. Um, and for me, I love them and I love the film because they are, the, the, these women are proto Vassar girls. And Kate, <laughs> I, I, I'm a Vassar girl. I know you went to Vassar, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, and, yeah. And so these girls are, are the ones who go to townie strip clubs like bosses. You know, these yeah. two are just, they're in, in, in Devil's Hole, Minnesota, they're just a little unsophisticated, even though they're really worldly. Jennifer says, we have all the power. Don't you know that? And other than all of these kinds of incredible women with incredible voices and incredible vocabularies, fuck you, critical assessment. Um, Thank you. You know, uh, in addition to all of this, it's got a production design that's really excellent. It's got great practical effects and it's got a soundtrack that's fun and essential to this film mm -hmm. and to our enjoyment of this film. Um, and I, I would say that the cast are pretty uniformly excellent, which is no surprise, mm -hmm. considering that it is jammed with movie stars and other bold-faced names and recognizable faces. And while the film may wink occasionally, the cast do not. Um, I think Megan Fox, Adam Brody, Chris Pratt, J.K. Simmons, Amy Sedaris, and of course, Amanda Seyfried, whose movie this basically is. And I think all of these actors in this movie are turning in charming performances, mostly. The cast is nuts. Cast is bonkers. It's um, bonkers. Adam Brody, holy shit. Who knew how fucking funny this guy could be? Like, he's perfect and hilarious in every uh, single scene. All right. That's what I think about the movie. And because we are in school right now at Scare You, mm -hmm. and all of these children in Jennifer's body are behaving pretty badly, um, it's easy to maybe want to give them some detention slips, Eric. Uh, so now I'm going to turn it over to the two of you to see if you want to, too. Cheese and fries, it's the fire drill. That's right, this is your official spoiler warning. Whatever else you do, should you choose to listen further and you have not seen this film, what's wrong uh, with you? That's right, because it is time for Study Hall, which is, 
of course, the portion of our show in which we talk about the moments, scenes, or aspects that made this such an indelible film, or not. We'll be breaking this section up into two segments, on a roll, i.e. what worked, and detention, i.e. what didn't work. Uh, but before we get into it, I feel like I don't have to ask, but I have to ask... Just to establish where we are on the playing field, give me a basic yes or no response. Did you like this film, Kate? This is an 11 out of 10 for me. Eric Winnick? <laughs> uh, yes, I did like this film. Eric, you were just jerking me around, getting me sweating, making me nervous. Excuse me, oh. I said nothing. I said nothing. I indicated nothing. The, that is it's all in what you. what you didn't say. You inferred that. <laughs> I did oh. Eric, you're giving me a wetty. God damn it. <laughs> All right, Bye. so let's get after it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to do honor roll first. We will do it round robin style, in which we will each name a scene or aspect or attribute that worked best for us, and we will come around for two more, and then we'll hand out the dastardly detention slips. Kate, oh, you have no idea how excited I am right now. But as our <laughs> guest, would you please go first and give us your first nomination for the honor roll? Um, for the honor roll, my one of my favorite scenes of all time is the introduction to possess Jennifer whenever she comes in the kitchen at night. And we get to see like the first something's not quite right. We get to see her like projectile vomiting black goo that's like sentient and moves around. We get to see her like tear up a Boston Market rotisserie chicken. Uh, we get like the first kind of like whiff of maybe Needy and Jen got a little bit more than friends thing going. And I'm here for it and I love it. Also, just like this is one of the first movies I had seen like where it just like right out the gate. They're like, yeah, it's going to be a female protagonist and a female antagonist and it's going to be really complicated because female friendships are really complicated so kitchen scene hands down um while we were talking about a feminist film i don't want to be accused of mansplaining but <laughs> i think the word we are looking for is pharaoh fluid is what comes out of jennifer's mouth in the kitchen it is, is like that, that magic magnetic shit that like gets all spiky and i had to look cool. that one up. Um, I was like, how do you know this? That's that's really impressive. I literally Googled spiky black fluid. And what I came out of Jennifer? Ferrofluid. Ferrofluid. Um, Mr. Winnick, let's hand it off to you. What is your first nomination for the honor roll? Thank you, sir. Well, first, a mini shout out for the editing of this film, uh, mainly because it was by Plummy Tucker, uh, whom I went to Middlebury with. But my real first honor roll mention is for the casting of this film, uh, which I think is just about perfect, with one exception, which I will hold off on mentioning until detention. I think Megan Fox, she more than holds her own in this film. And in a way, it's it's a shame that her career never really took off beyond you know the the Transformers films. I think she shows some real comic chops here mm -hmm. um, she's hilarious yeah and others uh like johnny simmons as chip and kyle gallner or kyle gallner as goth kid colin gray josh emerson as a jock who misses his best friend adam brody as nikolai they they all do a a, a great job uh, jk simmons is almost unrecognizable as the kid's <laughs> teacher mr robolewski 
with his wig and his hook for a left hand. Um, I was a little bit sad that Amy Sedaris didn't get to cut loose more as Needy's mom. But then again, it's not really much of a role. So um, it's like we take what we can get, you know? Yeah. So let's hear it for the casting. Mr. Lorick, let's throw it over to you for your first honor roll mention. All right. Well, I'm going to jump in here with something that um, falls a little bit later and is perhaps a little more specific. Uh, Instead of working um, broadly, as I often do, I want to give an honor roll nom to the humor of the muffed up sacrifice. Oh my God, it's so good. It's so fucked up. It's so funny. I mean that everyone has pretended Jennifer is a virgin so convincingly that Nikolai and the Low Shoulder Boys believe it and offer her as a virgin sacrifice only for her to become a powerful, hungry succubus with a permanent demon implant. I mean, the message, of course, is that uh, being a whore or rather embracing one's Boredom probably would have saved her life, uh, but it would certainly have deprived us of a psychosexual, satanic thrill ride. So the botched sacrifice gets my first honor roll nomination tonight. And back to you, Kate. Honor roll number two. Oh my gosh. Love when they start singing um, 8675309. Like, it's so scary, but really funny. So good, so good. And she's not even a virgin, you guys. She's not even a backdoor virgin, and that's hilarious. <laughs> this is true. So, this is true. She didn't even get to go to Flags the next day. She just had to sit on a bag of frozen peas. It's bag oh, of frozen God. peas. That's right. Bag of frozen You've peas. seen this one more than once. I fucking love this movie, just in case that's not clear. So mine's going to go to how very lesbigay this movie is. This movie was a sexual awakening for many girls, um, but also is just like a very empowering movie for queer people. Um, horror, I feel like, is very empowering for que- queer people. I think there's a lot of queer people who identify with horror in general, but just to have this kind of representation, even though um, the marketing team tried to like sweep it under the rug and step on it, uh, we see it and we recognize it and it's important and we love it. All right. Back that to you, true. Mr. Winnick. All right. Number two. Um Starting with the now iconic line, Hell is a Teenage Girl. Diablo Cody's writing, ugh, it's so full of one-liners and zingers. There are far too many to mention. We've already done several of them tonight. But um, for the near constant use of the word retard, um, which hasn't aged well, this is a writer at the height of her powers who really gets how teens talk how mean they can be to one another, and how sweet they can be. I I love how Needy and Jennifer address each other as Vagisil and Monistat. It's cute. Um, Jennifer calls the bar fire a, quote, white trash pig roast. (laughs) And Needy talks about how the country, not just the local district, has developed a, quote, tragedy boner. Which is not entirely untrue when you think about no, what leads in true. what leads in the media these days. Um, right. There are a ton of pop culture references. At one point, Needy tells Chip that um, Jennifer would only fall for a drummer who sang lead. He mentions Phil Collins. She has no idea who he is. <laughs> he's visibly devastated. I love that. Nikolai talks about he's seminal. <laughs> Seminal. He is, to be fair. He literally yeah. is seminal. Nikolai talks about Maroon 5 as his heroes, which is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and finally, uh, Jennifer thinks the Rocky Horror Picture Show is a boxing movie. So, um, I don't like boxing movie. <laughs> but you know who I love? I love Diablo Cody and her writing in this film. 
Bradford Lorik, let's throw it over to you on a roll numero dos. I mean, I'm just going to pick up the cudgel that you just set down, Eric, because um, I, you know, the the consistent wit and humor and freshness of this writing cannot be yeah. overstated. Oh, yeah. I would ask if the two of you feel that it is, as the kids say, keenly observed. Because I think it absolutely is. Um, I, I, it is like brash and apologetic and so deeply inappropriate. As much as I love hearing a kid curse like a sailor, I love hearing the homecoming queen say things that would make a whore blush more. Um, <laughs> I know, right? Let's give it to, you know, um, the things that, that Diablo Cody puts in Adam Brody's mouth, like it's important for low shoulder to connect with their fans in the shitty areas too. <laughs> like, right, what are you doing here? Right before Jennifer offers to buy him a 9/11 tribute shooter in Minnesota in 2009. Uh! I mean, when J.K. Simmons <laughs> talks about Senorita. Erickson and cool dudes and hoes while he's passing out tissues to the students with his hook. <laughs> the hoes, yeah. I mean, it is those moments where the script sparkles with like the grittiest and glintiest glitter. Um, so Eric, I am right there with you. I just wanted to, I, you know, under normal circumstances, I would not give my second honor roll nomination to the same thing that you did, but the lines are so good. I couldn't let them go. Um, <laughs> So uh, let's give it back to Kate for honor roll number yeah. three. Take it away. Um, number three uh, for me, honor roll, is just um, the way Megan as a character can dress down a man in like three seconds or less and like have him like slightly offended but also like desperately in love with her so quickly. It's iconic and I love it. Like whenever she's deciding who she's going to nom nom, who she's going to eat, and she goes after <laughs> Kyle Gallner. And the way she does it is by, can I borrow your homework? I forgot to read Hamlet. Is he going to fuck his mom? And it works. <laughs> and it works. And then she gets to eat him. And it's great. I'm like, girl, you are a queen slay. To say nothing of the unspeakable romance of a construction site, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, the fact that the fact that he just like completely ignores so many red flags. And you're like, well, I don't know what to say, dude. Like. She did a good job, and she deserves to eat you at this point. Mr. Winnick, what is your third nomination for the honor roll? I think it's time to talk about tone. This film, I, I think it has to be said, Heather's walked so this film could run, which is totally fine. Yes. I mean, a lot of films have been influenced by Heather's, and like that film, this film walks a knife's edge between satire and serious without tipping too far in either direction. Um, even the scene which we talked about earlier, which Jennifer is almost killed or is leavened by the fact that A, low shoulder messes up because she's not a virgin, and B, they're singing 8675309 while stabbing her, which Come adds on. a completely ludicrous angle to it. I have to point out, because I, this feels like homage to me. The school has an anthem that arises directly as a result of the deaths of fellow students. In the case of Heather's, of course, the song was Teenage Suicide. Don't, Don't do, do it. it. Don't do by it. <laughs> Big Fun. And in this case, it's Through the Trees by Low Shoulder. Bradford Lorick, I'm going to hand it to you for the third honor roll nomination. All right. 
Okay, I think I'm going to give my third honor roll nomination to the dark Snow White moment when Jennifer takes old Mm. Jonas into the woods and all of a sudden they're surrounded by all the creatures of the forest up to and including the eating of Jonas's intestines by a deer. By a deer. <laughs> of all is, the animals, it turned up. It's the deer. Doe so a deer. Oh my god. Mersey does and dozy does. The little deers eat Jonas's innards, okay? I mean, it is so mm-hmm. off center. It is such a bizarre thing to happen. And the payoff we of having it. like a beautiful little Bambi forest creature eating the guts of the man who's just been you know, half devoured by the succubus. It's a pretty brilliant gesture. It's a pretty brilliant, shocking gesture. (laughs) It's the one scene in this film that actually resembles a Disney movie. (laughs) There's like a groundhog and like a bunny and, um, you know, the deer, of course. And it's just... It's just charming. And then they all (laughs) kind of descend on Jonas's body. It's, you know, we love it. We love it as like a um, like I'm like a pretty small girl, so I'm like five one, um, and most people are taller than me. So as someone who's seen as like not a threat, to then get to like flash my taser at a dude that's like testing me, that's how I feel. This deer, that's the vibe that this deer is giving off. Uh, you feel like plenty threat to me, Kate. Oh, thanks, Bradford. That's the sweetest thing anyone's ever said. Detention after school. Both of you, and you'll receive failing grades on this test. Seriously? Excuse me? You can take that language straight to detention. Anyone else? Motherfucker. Okay, fine. Detention for you too, Mr. Barber. Just perfect. Okay, now as playwright Ernie Joslovitz used to put it, let's make that subtle turn and discuss what in this film deserves the dreaded detention slips. Again, Kate, why don't you start us off? What is the first aspect of this film that you think deserves detention? Uh, You know, it's hard to make me talk about my girl like that, Eric, but I I do. I know. It's hard, but, you know, I rewatched this again uh, today and there's one scene that I'm like, ooh, that one always makes me cringe and it's not anyone's fault. But the chip and needy sex scene, I, I it's got to get a little detention slip for me only because Chip, it's he looks so young, it looks statutory, and they're they're like the same age. I looked it up, but for some reason, Chip looks twelve years old in this, in this scene, and it bothers me. Yeah, I actually made that same observation myself. I I did think at one point, wow, he's really young looking, um, but you know. They are They're supposed the same to be age. the same age. So I was like, nah, screw that. <laughs> um, all right, Mr. Lorik, why don't you, uh, let's do let's do your first attention slip. Do you want to? Yeah, uh, and I'm not sure how we're going to feel about this. In fact, I'm not sure how we're going to feel about two of my three, and I do have three. I'm not sure how I feel about my first one, because this is pretty much anathema. But Amy Sedaris is at her best when she is playing over-the-top, foul-mouthed gargoyles and grotesques. She is an absolutely hysterical comedian 
She's a hilarious personality. And uh, I have been in awe of her abilities. Um, and I think that she was cast in this movie because somebody loved her at her best, at her squirreliest, at her filthiest piglet or Jerry Blank best, but in a role that is not expressly written to take advantage of her skills, that doesn't give her a fatty suit or crazy dentures. It's kind of a waste of a cameo. And I think that she would have killed it in a role that gave her, for example, a hook hand and neck scars and a monologue that talked about cool dudes and hoes. Yes, that's a great idea. But I didn't love her yeah. as Needy's mother. Yeah, no, she could have. Yeah. She would have knocked that out of the park. She I agree have. with you. Yeah, I mean Simmons is great in everything, but it's not. It's not like his best, you know. Role. I'm not, it's, listen, it's I think no I think he's great in it, but I think that Amy needs a an outsider role, a left of center part in order to really take advantage of what she does best. Um, What about you, Mr. Winnick? Give us your first attention, why don't you? Yeah, I will. I want to talk for a sec about the the lesbian angle um, because I understand that this was actually more pronounced in the original version of the script and it was toned down by those, you know, white men in the production office for the theatrical version. Now, I'm not saying that it's not plausible. I just think that as played out on screen in the theatrical version I watched, it's a little bit out of left field. Um, I understand that Needy is, she's going through something. uh, She's having feelings. She appears to be pretty committed to Chip. The way that the love scene between Amanda Seyfried and Megan Fox is shot is so sensual with a close-up on their mouths. I think Kusama really wanted us to think it was hot, and to some extent it is. But I think if Needy truly had feelings for Jennifer, I think that the film needed to build on that a lot more. And I think that was one of the things that probably got left on the cutting room floor, or Cody was told to, you know, tone it down. And I think it's a shame because I think that it it would work if it was more developed in this film. Mm. That's a hard Go ahead. disagree. Uh-uh. Because, like, in the very beginning of the movie, like, it tot- it starts out with her, like, needy gazing at Jennifer in slow motion and, like, grinning at her stupidly and, like, waving at her. We even see, like – and, like, whenever they go to um, the Low Shoulder concert, mm-hmm. uh, like, they're, like, holding hands and, like, again, yeah. she's gazing at her and, like – I yeah, absolutely yeah. clocked that. And it was, like, fully intended for, for – from in the writing from Diablo Cody that – needy is in love with jennifer (laughs) and and, and, i i actually don't i I don't think that comes through though kate and i and and i think that it should and i think that it there should be more of it and i i did note that the the sex scene between needy and chip i mean she does get distracted um and it's of course by something supernatural that's happening it's not necessarily Chip's fault, but I, I do think that there's something missing from this. Well, ultimately, in, and this film, in that moment that Go you're ahead. talking about, Eric, she is distracted yeah. by her very powerful connection to Jennifer. Yep. in no, that moment, true. you know. And I, mm-hmm. I have to say that um, I think it is in those fleeting moments, those uh, uncomfortable moments of frisson that you get between them that the story of 
the relationship between the two of them is probably its most honest and most um, fully realized because I think that's so realistic. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think you and I d- disagree, and obviously Kate and I disagree on this. I I'm not saying that it it can't be real. It just to me didn't feel real enough mm-hmm. in the context of this film or this version of the film. Hey, I That's thought all. we were going to fight a lot more, so this is nothing. Right. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, let's throw it back to you, Kate. Do you have a second detention slip? I do not. I'm I am fresh out of detention slips. Whoa. Wow. Okay. Right. Whoa. Really um, all right. I have tremendous right, fair respect for that. Mr. Lorick, <laughs> you have a second? I do. Um, and uh, my second is, is pretty simple and straightforward. I am... Uh, I will give a detention slip for the fact that Low Shoulder only got its comeuppance in the credit sequence. I would have liked to see that as a giant explosive, um, you know, a, a conflagration to rival that of Melody Lane. All right, Eric, what do you got for number two? I have to say, and this is, Kate, you're not going to like this one either. But, oh, um, no. I have to say that the casting of Amanda Seyfried is just a little odd to me. If you're going to cast someone who is supposed to be diametrically opposed to Megan Fox, I think there were so many other actors that you could cast who would play the role of a dorky, smart, confused high school girl Um not better, but just look the part. I think Amanda Seyfried is beautiful and nothing that they could do to her could make her look mousy. I hear you. Um, And I think someone like Jenna Malone, for instance, would have killed in this role. Nowadays, you might cast someone like a Caitlin Deaver or even a Beanie Feldstein, but the idea that you can make Amanda Seyfried somehow look homely by slapping a pair of glasses on her is just for me it's just a little too far-fetched <laughs> i can see that um also i think she right, has so, cute chemistry though i think she and jennifer have no no chemistry. she's a very good actress she's a very good actress i just think that she's she's a bit yeah almost, and, 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 she's so good hot. looking i mean yeah <laughs> yeah yeah her next I'm just to like, chip nothing against chip it's just like it's like um again no. i'm like are you 12 is this your mommy well, that and also, okay, I'm not even going to go there. Okay, Bradford Lorick, I guess we're going back to you. Uh, what is your third detention slip? Uh, well, Eric, before I give you my third uh, detention slip, um, it's a little known fact. I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, Jenna Malone was actually offered the role of uh, oh. of Needy's grandmother in this. But um, oh god, but they cut that You're part. Awful. Yeah, uh, so you know, <laughs> you're the worst. I'd be curious to worst. see her in the role of Needy when she was, you know, pushing seventy. Three, I think, at the time. But, oh, um, yeah, actually, you know, you know who else could have done this? Gabby Hoffman would have been great in this, too. Yeah, Sorry, exactly. I just thought of that. Um, yeah. Just thought of it. Young, nubile, young Gabby Hoffman. Uh, I mean, yep. if they made this movie in, you know, the early, mid-90s, Gabby Hoffman would have been great. All right, so my third and final, and this may be the most controversial point I'm going to make tonight, and I am very curious to hear what you both um, think about this point. Look, at the end of the film, uh, does not go particularly well between Jennifer and Needy. Uh, And um, throughout, sort of leading up, there's a significant amount of undermining of their relationship. 
uh, and whether that is demonic or not, uh, is it suggesting that it is evil that makes women compete? And how do we sort of square what happens between them? That's an interesting I thought. I hadn't thought of it like that. Because it seems anti-feminist or anti-woman-centric to um, to let their relationship deteriorate like that. LOL, that's like super woman-centric. <laughs> Just as, as like someone who was like a girl in high school with like a bunch of best friends with other girls, it is this like um, complex, like semi, like even for straight girls, it's like almost semi-romantic, very like like competitive, but like not competitive trying to get male affection, just like competitive within each other trying to be the best and trying to be good and perfect. And it's like, even even though you're my best friend, like at the end of the day, sometimes like you're still competition as I'm like becoming the kind of woman that I'm going to be, you're becoming the woman that you're going to be. I don't know. I, it, I think that uh, women, female relationships, especially in high school, are complex. Uh, I'm, so I'm not saying you're wrong. And so it's believable to you that they would fall out the way they do at the end of the It's film. almost expected. Like, it would be weird if they didn't. Mm. Uh, and I mean, maybe it's because of that expectation that I think I wanted something more from Diablo Cody and this team. You know, I think I but wanted them to- you want them to just get along at the end? Everyone just, like, gets along? No, I think I wanted them to sort of, like, join forces and become some sort of, like, Chernobyl kind of demon who, you know- Burn the testicles I would off do of that. everybody in Devil's oh my uh, God. Kettle, you know? I would absolutely do that. Um, right. I don't think Needy would do that. <laughs> I don't think that Megan Fox – or not Megan Fox. I don't think Jennifer would have been best friends with somebody like that. It's almost like a – like in relationships, like opposites attract kind of. It's like that a lot in friendships too. But couldn't they just, you know, in in Listen, demonic union, you know? I mean, I just <laughs> wanted to see that happen. I wanted them to maybe to, in the sequel. <laughs> maybe in the sequel, may, Mr. Winning, may I throw it back to you for your third and final detention slip of the night? You may, and um, uh, this is going to take the form of questions, um, and I'm sure that one or both of you have the answers to these. So please chime in. Number one, how did the fire get started at Melody Lane? And are we meant to believe it had something to do with someone's powers? No, I think it was, I think that wasn't low shoulder involved with the fire. It was like an electrical fire, but there was like alcohol next to a wire. I don't remember how it got started. I I looked at it. I watched the film a second time and all I could see was it something caught fire. Uh, and I was a little bit like, that's a little too convenient I think it's, a plot device. I think it's in canon meant to be um, low shoulder coming in from the city, um, purposefully setting off this fire to establish a tragedy that they can then launch their name off of. Because they are, are ready. Are you sure about that? Okay. Yeah, they're like loaded I did up not in the van, ready to go, looking around for uh, okay. who they can convince to get in their van. Oh, so you're saying it was totally Premeditated. their intention to mm-hmm. set the fire. Okay. Yes. Um, I am going to chalk that up to Deus Ex Satanica. You think so? I think so. I don't, I mean, I have seen it a number of times. Uh, I feel like whatever their um, harebrained, half-wit, 
internet printed satanic ritual might be. If we can understand that a demon has taken up residence inside Jennifer's heart, that um, there is something at work here, a power that is greater than uh, the band's um, musical talent, perhaps. Uh, because I, I sort of feel like the... Um, the degree of calm, the degree of um, matter-of-factness, the degree of this is playing out exactly as I expected it to, that we kind of experience from Nikolai and the rest of the boys. I mean, to me, it, it said something that it was um, planned, it was anticipated, it was expected, and it was delivered. Okay, um, but so you're essentially saying the same thing, but Bradford, you're attributing it more to perhaps a satanic presence. And it sounds like, Kate, you're saying that they deliberately set the fire. Just like regular evil, just yeah. regular boy evil. Yeah, regular, regular evil. But exactly. I like both. I like either one. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. We see in the beginning that Needy has been getting letters from, as she claims, every day I get letters, I think I get more letters than Santa Claus, Zach Efron, and Dr. Phil combined. Are we to assume that she has become infamous for murdering the band? Uh, had she murdered them She at that hadn't point? murdered the band yet. She'd only murdered no. Jennifer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the next question I have is, why is she getting letters for killing Jennifer? Jennifer was very popular, first of all. Um, but also she's getting, she's probably getting credit for killing everyone that Jennifer's killed. So she's a very notorious, brutal serial killer. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, people do uh, get really bonded and like pen pal these people. Yeah. And, like send them gifts. Wait a minute. More letters than Santa Claus, Zac Efron, and Dr. Phil combined for killing Jennifer, a girl in a small town committing murder. And everybody well, else. And like, everybody so I think else. that she's now absorbed. Yeah, she's absorbed the responsibility for all of Jennifer's murders, which were all grisly, brutal killings, which she's, were national news. She's ostensibly run her boyfriend through with a pool skimmer. Um, <laughs> yeah. She's devoured the captain of the football team and the goth boy yeah. who looked like. Yeah, sure, um, sure, sure. What did he look like? Yeah. Something with teeth. Lasagna with oh, teeth. Oh, um, lasagna with teeth. Right. So you heard. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, she has she has this reputation now, whether it's deserved or not. But I would bet you that, um, you know, if you were to tally up the number of letters that Richard Speck or Charles Manson received in prison. Um, oh, God. Yeah. Proposal. Probably, I see. Probably okay. a honey right. of a lot. Yeah. My sister's a okay, true crime, a true crime girly, and uh, yeah, those people get mega fans. I mean, I mean the blood trail comes yeah. back to Jennifer, which means it comes back to Needy. Needy. And like, who else would have killed these people that all are in the same class with Needy and Jennifer, who have all been seen with Needy and Jennifer? Right. Also, like, yeah, she like mm. was witness brutally stabbing a teenage girl to death, her best friend. So, right. All right. Thank you for clearing that up. I really, yeah. I really appreciate it. I did not get that, but um, it does make sense to me. <laughs> all right. Well, then, before we bring it on home with our superlatives. Um, let's take a quick break for recess. Uh, we'll get a little air in our lungs, run around a little bit, have a snack or two. Um, Kate, when you were growing up, did you have a favorite recess or school time snack? Oh my God, I did. At break, we would have, and our break was like at 10 a.m. It was like after first period. So 
not super starving at that time, but they had everlast- everlasting gobstoppers that were 50 cents and I would get them on Monday and they Whoa. would last me the whole week. That is some restraint. Where were you keeping those gobstoppers all week? Like just kind of loose in like the bottom of my backpack probably. Perfect. <laughs> just rolling about. All right. So uh, let's take a break and then we will come back for the superlatives. everyone's concerned you're the most popular girl in your school and the fact that you hang with d and i well speaks very highly of you well he's very popular and cools nerds your side my side man it's all bullshit it's just tough enough to be yourself so is this your first time out here yeah i don't think i'm very popular out here either hey i met you you are not cool. There are people I work with and our job is being popular and shit. We want to invite you to have lunch with us every day for the rest of the week. Oh, it's okay. Coolness. So we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, it's time now to hand out our superlatives. Those annoying popularity awards in every high school yearbook like best looking, best dressed, and most likely to succeed only with us at Scare You. It's things like character that most deserve to die. So to start us off, let's do the first award, the Gaspar Noe Award for Most Disturbing Scene, named, of course, for Gaspar Noe, director of such films as Irreversible, Love 3D, Enter the Void, Climax, Lux Eterna. Um, so uh, let's start with you, Kate. Gaspar Noe Award for Most Disturbing Scene. That's that's a tough one. Um, I would say if I'm being honest, the scene where Jennifer is getting sacrificed is really fucking scary for me because <laughs> they just like – Yeter, yank her into a van and then she's gone and like that's how it would really happen and like her like looking around the van and like seeing like the satanic books and just being like are you guys gonna murder me are you guys rapists that was really scary because that was like oh like I can take demons and puking what was it called ferrofluid ferrofluid yeah pu- you can puke all the fer- you can puke ferrofluid all day I can handle it but whenever it gets like true crime murdery I get nervous so that scene was really messed up. What do they call the? What does Needy call the van an '89 rapist? Did you get the make and model of the car? Which, like, of course, you're like, no, <laughs> no. I was too worried with the building behind me blowing up and my friend getting stolen. Indeed. All right, Mr. Lorick, uh, what do you have for the Gaspar Noe Award? Um, well, I mean, I've always had an intense and inescapable nightmare about mustelids and uh, also fried bologna. So, you know, when Needy wants to feed her weasel or whatever the hell it is, some fried it's a bologna. Ferret. But in all seriousness, the scene that disturbed me most was uh, the slaughter of Jennifer Check to an acapella cover of Tommy Two Tones, 8675309. It's so good. It really is awesome. Brilliant gesture. Loved it. Um, uh, what about you, Mr. Winnick? Your Gaspar Noe prize? Most disturbing scene, I, I have to say, um, Needy's dress at the formal. Um, <laughs> it's the, bad. The Hilarious. pink poofy sleeves. Uh, just, it's just, there's just something so unsettling about that dress. It was more disturbing Listen. for me than anything else in this film. So, She's uh, going to wear it to the Cheesecake Factory later, okay? Oh, my God. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> which brings us to the Ellen Ripley Award, uh, named, of course, for Sigourney Weaver's character Ellen Ripley in the Alien Cinematic Universe. This is the award for character that most deserved to live. And to start us off, Bradford Lorick, 
What do you have? My Ellen Ripley Award goes to Colin Gray. Wow. Uh, Kyle Gallner's charming goth little pretender to Jennifer's throne. I liked him. Okay, so Kate, are you agreeing with Bradford? Are you bestowing your Ellen Ripley Award on Colin Gray? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, Ellen Ripley Award goes to Jennifer and all the boys. Interesting. Well, I am... You know, he's just a small town emo kid living in a lonely Uh. world. He took the midnight train to hell. Colin Gray. All right. I I get it. Like, it's a great choice. It's a great choice. Just liked him. Liked the guy. Felt bad for him. Liked him. Yeah. There you go. That brings us, of course, to the Michael Myers Award for the character that most deserved to die. And uh, we don't need to explain to you, Kate, who Michael Myers is. But for our mm, listening audience, he is, of course, Mr. Lorick. The... He's he's the uh, embodiment of living evil. He is the shape. Yeah. He is uh, the... the... He's the hero of Halloween, John Carpenter's he, 1978 he, masterpiece. All right. I don't think um, Haddonfield would say that, but we will say that, yes. Absolutely. We will say that tonight. <laughs> I will start us off. I am giving this to Nikolai Wolf, played by Adam Brody. Oh, um, yeah. Not only does he mistake Jennifer for a virgin, he just seems like a real D-bag, uh, which actually says something about Adam Brody's range, given how likable he is in Ready or Not, a film we talked about last season. Kate, who do you have for the Michael Myers Award? That's it. That's a really good answer. I probably should have picked that one, but I Uh-oh. didn't. So I'm going to go with <laughs> I forgot about the credits and that they counted. So um, I hate to say it, but my Michael Myers Award goes straight to Chip. Um, oh, whoa. I- <laughs> He's a bad boyfriend, and honestly, he's just kind of holding Needy back. And I'm like, wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. How is he a bad boyfriend? Well, he cheats on her with her best friend. Well, he thinks that. I mean, Needy's broken up with him, and she and, and he, Jennifer that's a is bad told, boyfriend. Jennifer, <laughs> excuse me. Jennifer tells him that Needy's been sleeping with Colin. I, if I think my there friend are extenuating stole circumstances. My boyfriend. No, uh, no, 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 no. A good boyfriend would be like, yo, needy, I heard some shit about you. Not just immediately start making out with their best friend. No, rude. You're saying he should have confirmed it first. I am saying that, yeah. Okay, fine, fine. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, Mr. Lorick, Michael Myers Award. Oh, Adam Brody, Nikolai Wolf, all the way. It's a good one, look at, yeah. Look at us, Mr. Lorick, agreeing on on stuff for a change. <laughs> that Unbelievable. sooner or later. It, it did. <laughs> you know what? It's time for the Ken Russell Award, people. That is no. the award. Yes, for the most Baroque screen moment in which the director of the film tends to go for what, Bradford? Baroque, Eric. Ken Russell, of course, the... Uh, famed uh, star of Big Brother, and uh, really not much else. I, what else Ken Russell known for? Few few things. Uh, like Ein Kitten for Hitler? <laughs> yes. A short that he made later in his career, before he was kicked out of the Big Brother house for being the most racist man in England. Um, but before that, he made films like Tommy and Listomania and Valentino and Altered States and... The Devils. Uh, the Devils and... Whore, take the take money. Take the money. Salome's Last Dance. Lair Salome. of the White Birds. my favorite. Gothic. Oh, come on. Uh, you know what? Start with The Devils. If you get a chance, see I'm The Devils. Vanessa Redgrave, Oliver Reed. It is stunning. It is horrifying. And it is disturbing as hell. But it is 
so well made. So good. Salome's Last Dance is, I think, my favorite of his. But That's his favorite. Not mine, but his. All right. So speaking of going for Baroque, Baroque. uh, Bradford Lorick, on which scene do you bestow the Ken Russell Award? The needy (laughs) goes after Jennifer to kill her demon post-prom scene. Um, They are levitating like Dana Barrett's. They're ripping off each other's best friend's necklaces. (laughs) They are writhing around on each other in the dark in a, like, knowing send-up of girl-on-girl fight scenes that, like, totally shifts Uh. the paradigm of who's gazing whom. And it's, uh, it's like a solid reflection and version of the earlier love scene between the two of them. And, of course, like... Mm. Needy slaughters her best friend and they land in a bloody spent heap on the bed just in time for Jennifer's MIA mother to catch oh them in the God. act. It is like everything. Yeah, now you, you want. show up, mom. Exactly. Um, that's what exactly. I got. Um, Kate Thompson. I think I agree with Bradford. I think that everything he said is correct. And I think it's like the most over the top, climactic, dramatic, hilarious, sexy moment of the whole movie. So I'm going with the home invasion scene with Jennifer standing there all bloody and catatonic. She smiles at Needy with these bloodstained teeth for an abnormally long time. She starts Mm -hmm. rummaging through the fridge. She's wolfing down chicken. She makes this ungodly (laughs) sound and then vomits up what appears to be gallons of black tar with a bunch of needles in them. Perhaps ferrofluid, I've heard. Perhaps ferrofluid. The scene scene (laughs) finishes with Jennifer planting one on Needy's neck and then vamoosing out the front door, Baroque. All right. Yes. I'd buy that Thank for you. a dollar. Which brings us to our final award of the night. This is the Brad Dorif Award for a character who could or should have been played by the great character actor and our patron saint, Brad Dorif. The voice of Chucky. James Veneman, the Gemini killer in The Exorcist 3. Deadwood. Blue Velvet, Billy Bibbit. Billy Bibbit, Lynch's Dune, Wise Blood. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so you know what we're talking about here, Kate. So why don't you bestow on us your Brad Dourif Award? My Brad Dourif Award, it was really easy, actually. It goes straight to Megan Fox. Whoa. You would have I'm... substituted Brad Dourif for Megan Fox? Oh, I thought it was like an embodiment of Brad Dourif. Uh, but yeah, I think- genius. <laughs> I think I still, I think I still went. Don't get like I. Okay, I thought this was the embodiment, like the character of Brad Dourif, the excellence of Brad Dourif. But also, I do want Brad Dourif to play this role. I think he would blow it away. Oh, I'm that, so that is, by that answer. That is a well, that is a well thought out answer. Actually, uh, right. I, I, I'm going to give it to you on that, Bradford Lorick. Who do you have for the Brad Dourif Award? Well, listen up, kids. Uh, there is. <laughs> There is basically a Brad Dourif cameo in this film already. Oh, I know and who it is. It is at the I think, end of the film. Oh, Bradford, you and I are on the same Holy page. Shit. I love it. Okay. So I love, fucking love this. Needy oh. has busted out of the asylum. Yes, She's she has. Bumming for a hitch. And who picks her up? <laughs> but that other great uh, horror film veteran, uh, Lance uh, Henriksen. Fucking Wait, Lance Henriksen. Wait, who? Did I miss this? Oh, the, the guy who God. picks her up. Yeah, yes, it's the Lance, old man it's who Lance. picks her up is Lance Henriksen from like oh, Pumpkinhead from, you know, every <gasps> other horror oh, movie ever made. Aliens. So, Stop it. Yeah, of course. Aliens. Yes. Um, and Stop I, it. 
I would love to see. I think there's something so magical about the idea of Brad Dourif playing a role that Lance Henriksen is playing. I mean, that's sick. That might make Ugh. the universe like collapse on itself. <laughs> I would, I, I'm there for it. Bradford, you and I are so in sync here. I, I wrote the fo- the following words: "Quote as nice as it is to see Lance Henriksen at the end of this film, I would have had Dourif play the guy who picks up Needy." on her way to murder low shoulder at the end of the film, end quote. God yeah. damn, you guys. Wow, Eric. It's that time of the month. Um, <laughs> all right. They're all synced up. <laughs> We're in sync. Okay, thanks, Justin. Um, all right, with that, we have arrived at our final segment of the night, the final exam. And this, of course, is the part of the program where we give our final letter grade for the semester based on everything that we have heard and seen about this film. Kate, Would you go first and give us your final letter grade? Uh, I would love nothing more than to do that. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to go ahead and not beat around the bush and give this a solid uh, A++. This is like 110. It doesn't have to take the final exam. It's actually exempt from the final exam. Summa cum laude. Genius. Wow. Genius. All right. Mr. Winnick? I did say I like this film, and I did. Uh, I had some quibbles with it in the detention section, uh, as I mentioned. And as such, I am going to give it a solid, but an uplifting B. Hey, that's good. Well, that's, a, that's, that's a pass. That's better than I was expecting when we started this passing exercise grade. this evening. Mr. Lorick? For me, Jennifer's body is A all the way. Oh, my Yay! God. Yeah. <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. We hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, tell your friends, share our episodes on that series of pneumatic tubes called the Internet. Have a listening party, bring some everlasting gobstoppers, Yum. and hey, maybe even subscribe. And hey, while you're at if it, you're give, us, crazy. give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, because damn it, we deserve each and every one of them. Be <laughs> sure to check out additional information on our Instagram account, in our Facebook group, or on our website, scareupod.com. Thanks again to our very special guest, Kate Thompson. Kate, if people want to find you and Nightlight online, where can they do so? Oh, yeah. It's really easy. Just head on over to nightlighthorrormovieclub.com. We also have a little scoreboard section where we rank all of the horror movies that we've seen and reviewed, and we fight over them. So you can kind of look at that and get upset. It upsets us as well. But yeah, go check it out. Thank you so much, Kate. It's been a pleasure. Anytime. Um, indeed. Very good. Well, meanwhile, you can find me on Letterboxd and Instagram under the moniker EA Winnick. And you can find me in any dark bar or <laughs> at bradfordlorick.com. Our announcements were by Kay Kaiser, Sir Anthony Hopkins, Wyatt Olaf, and Sophia Lillis. Our music is by Van Halen, Edward Elgar, and Sir Cubworth. Scare You is a production of Yarn Audio Works. We will see you next time in the dank, graffiti-strewn, abandoned pool house that we like to call... Jenny, I've got your number. I need to make you mine. Jenny, don't change.